My wife and I, have, uh, many of you know we were on vacation. It was a very interesting vacation, 6,500 miles out to California, Oregon, and back. During that time, uh, Carla's desire was to listen to lots and lots of audio, uh, uh, books on tape, all right, which means books on CD. And after we figured that out, we finally went and saw my dad. We listened to a uh, couple of Agatha Christie's, and I listened to an entire 24 hours of Herodotus, which is going to show up in a sermon soon. And, um, but uh, when we got to see my dad, my dad, who uh, is kind of an eccentric fellow, anyway, he had a whole lot of books on tape, and one uh, he gave us, and so I can't remember the name of the guy, but the book, the book is, it's a, one of these kind of uh, mysteries type books, you know, solving the problems people want to destroy the world, and what, what the, the main, the main problem is, three or four people want to tear apart the world's crust or change the polarity of the world through some kind of um, uh, electromagnetic pulse. And I thought uh, that it would be interesting to show you a video, a short video, about what is called continental drift. Because a lot of us, when we were in high school, our eyes glazed over when it came to some of these things. Yet, And I think as, as people that take the Bible seriously, some of us have come to some point that we think the world is as it's always been. And there are some, some believers who've written some tremendous things about this. The world has changed tremendously. Don't ever forget the flood, okay? And so this is a short video we're going to see right now about continental drift. It's geared to people that don't like geography. So you'll like it, I'm sure. Talk about the ultimate breakup. Europe and Africa have been splitting apart from the American continents for millions of years. At a rate of approximately 2.5 centimeters per year, the continents are moving about as fast as our fingernails grow. And as they continue to split, the rift between them, otherwise known as the Atlantic Ocean, will get even wider. And all this drama is leaving behind a major scar. An underwater valley called the Mid-Atlantic Ridge, which tears more and more as the continents slowly move apart. Looking back on the continental relationship puts us a mere 300 million years ago when Africa, Europe, the Americas, and all the other continents were one big landmass, the famed supercontinent, Pangaea. Due to the constant churning of magma underneath the Earth's crust, they all split up and moved to their modern-day positions. But if destiny in the form of magma and tectonic plates has anything to say about it, the continents might have a chance of getting back together. But how will these stubborn continents kiss and make up? Scientists believe the plates will shift, causing the continents to rearrange and get back together. But in true tectonic plate style, it'll take about 250 million years. Our planet has a violent soul. Okay. Majestic and good. often destructive. <clears throat> So, in 250 million years, it'll all come back together. Actually, there is a believer who's a PhD scientist, uh, and he has come up with a theory called the hydroplate theory, and he, he is able to show how the flood actually caused everything that's occurred, including the continental drift, all of it taking place rather rapidly. So, time is one of those things that's a bit amorphous when it comes to how things came to be, but the bottom line is, is that there are some really brainy believers who've been able to take what they see in the biblical text and find out solutions scientifically. So uh, if that bored you, shame on you. That was interesting. But uh, I wanted to talk about... See, am I... Oh, okay. I wanted to talk about continental drift because we're going back into Galatians 
the book of Galatians. We're in Galatians chapter 3. So if you, uh, please take your copy of the scriptures. Turn to Galatians chapter 3. And I wanted to use that kind of to jump off on the whole issue of drift. The issue of drift. The problem of drift. Um, those uh, who are in business or run organizations are very familiar what, with what is called organizational drift. How an organization with a mission statement can, over time, unless there's tremendous effort, uh, they, people can drift away from the basic vision and mission of the organization. Now, a lot of ministries run into that problem. And so uh, yeah, I'm very familiar with this in one perspective. I got a whole book called Historical Drift in my library, very well-written book on this very issue. Uh, but in the book of Galatians, which to us is not a book about grace versus law, it's a book about God's unlimited grace toward us, bringing to us his security, the security of his peace. I want us this morning to talk about spiritual drift. Spiritual drift. Do you remember when you became a believer in Yeshua? Do you remember where you were? Do you remember the circumstances of it? I do. I remember because it was a moment of incredible tension in my life. I was either going to go one way or I was going to go another way. And I realized it. I had been confronted with the reality of who God was and who Yeshua was. And I either had to accept him or reject him. And I chose him. And it's made all the difference, you know. Uh, for us, the road less traveled can, can be helpful in that. All right. But there have been times when even as a follower of Messiah Yeshua, the circumstances in life and just the realities of day-to-day life have led me or I've allowed myself to drift from exactly what God wants from me. I remember when I was, I remember I had been a believer probably two and a half years when uh, while working as an assistant manager in a restaurant, uh, I was uh, I w- introduced to a young lady who, who I thought was great and she thought I was great. And at 17 or 17 and a half years of age, I was thinking that, uh, you know, maybe this would be somebody I should marry. But at the time, I was actually feeling a call to ministry and going to Moody Bible Institute. And, and it was, I, I was drifting. I was slowly allowing my interest in an unbelieving young lady to lead me away from what God had for me. All right? And, and it, this was a drift. It was so funny because uh, what really woke me up, besides a couple of my friends, was my father, who basically said, what's wrong? He disowned me for going to Moody. He says, what's wrong with you? You're going to go to Moody, and you're going out with this girl. Makes no sense to me. You know, what's wrong with you? Don't you like that corrective from your father every once in a while? You know, your parents give you a patch. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the patch. Take a look, Galatians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3. Uh, beginning in verse 1. He says, O foolish Galatians, who cast a spell on you, before your eyes Yeshua the Messiah was clearly portrayed as true, as crucified. And I'm going to make my kids happy. I'm going to grab my reading glasses. <clears throat> All right. So, here we have a very sharp rebuke. O foolish Galatians. All right? Uh, 
can I, can I be very clear? If you do not intentionally work hard for your spiritual growth, you will most certainly succumb to personal spiritual drift. Paul, Shaul, in this verse and in this section, which is a repeat of what we see in chapter 1, actually, Paul is, is harshly coming down on these people because they have drifted spiritually. And it's because they have gone AWOL when it comes to the intentionality of the purity of their faith. They have succumbed to something that evidently was easier for them to think about and do. And so this is in reality a second rebuke. A second rebuke. First rebuke, if you remember, is in chapter 1. Take a look at chapter 1, verse 6. He he starts the book very nicely, and then in verse 6 he says, I am amazed that you are so quickly turned away from the one who called you by the grace of Messiah to a different good news. It's a very strong rebuke, especially in the Greek. Don't you think that all religious leaders should be like Mr. Rogers? How many of you have seen Mr. Rogers in his neighborhood? He's Presbyterian, well, he's dead now. Presbyterian pastor. Pastors and religious leaders should only say nice things. Shouldn't make people feel bad. Well, it's false. <laughs> Yeshua himself sets the example. Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses himself also got a bit ticked off from time to time. But here we see in this text, not just once, but twice, Shaul becoming very angry and expressing it very clearly. In this text, he calls them foolish. And you may say, well, what does foolish really mean? Here the word foolish, what it really means is a failure of intellect, of understanding or comprehension. He's telling them, in essence, you numbskulls, you empty-headed people. That's harsh. It's not a nice word in the Greek. He's saying this to them because he cannot possibly believe that they have gone astray. They've drifted so far from what, he, from what he has taught them. The, uh, the issue is simply <laughs> they have been, they have been uh, uh, basically, uh, well, I'm trying to think of the word, it's a sign that's in the red there, but, but something has captured them. Something has captured them that is leading them in a direction that's absolutely in opposition to what Shaul taught them. Verse 1 is basically this, this capstone, capstone rebuke that will lead in a couple of minutes to a series of, frankly, very hard, challenging questions. The, uh, the Greek word... If you look in in the second part of that first verse, he says, who cast a spell? That literally, that Greek word, the reference has to do with some kind of of evil eye. You say, the evil eye? I've heard about the evil eye. My grandma told me about the evil eye. You know? They got the Hamza. The Hamza is supposed to help us from the evil eye. Anybody have a rabbit foot? All that's narishkeit, foolishness, all right? But the concept of the evil eye, the concept of somebody being able to to basically control us, lead us astray in some mystical, supernatural way, that's kind of what Shoal's talking about here. You empty-headed people (laughs) 
Who in the world has literally, as it says actually on the TV, cast a spell? Who has, who has done their, their mystical, supernatural hocus-pocus on you? In that last blue statement, in this verse, the last part of the verse, before your eyes Yeshua the Messiah was clearly portrayed as crucified. They never saw Yeshua crucified. They never saw Yeshua crucified, but Shaul has clearly portrayed it for them. He has shown them through his teaching. He has demonstrated them through the scriptures. He has articulated it to them in such a way that from Paul's, from Paul's perspective, they have clearly seen the crucifixion of the Messiah. In other words, what he's saying is, you by now should have a solid foundation of understanding what in the world has turned you in this false direction. Now he goes off and he asks a bunch of questions. You know, the first one we talked about, who cast a spell on you? The second, did you receive the ruach by deeds based on Torah or by hearing based on trust? Now, he's going back. Remember, I've, ta- I've talked about this before, and we're going to see it consistently. Shaul will always repeat himself multiple times. Why? It's emphasis, all right? And the big issue for him in the book of Galatians is not a book against the Torah. It makes no sense, because we know later on in Acts 21, he lives by the Torah. It's the issue of the gospel message. These people have allowed there to become in their teaching, in their lives, in their beliefs, a corruption about people coming to right relationship with God by faith alone, not by doing good deeds. And what's fascinating is in that second question, he is basically saying, you guys have received the Ruach. What is he talking about? Acts chapter 2. It's talking about these, these times we see in the book of Acts where people came into relationship with God and, and it was obvious the Spirit of God was coming into them. He said, did you receive that by good deeds or by faith alone? Well, the obvious answer is, of course, by faith because it all occurred when he was with them, before they got into this new false knowledge. After beginning with the Ruach, will you now reach the goal in the flesh? What's the goal? The goal is the kingdom of Messiah. It's a reference to Philippians chapter 1. Actually, it's the same Greek words used in Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to read that for you. Philippians 1 verse 6. It says, I am sure of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. That's the word, until the day of Messiah Yeshua. What is the completion? What is the day of Messiah Yeshua? It is when the Yom Adonai, the day of the Lord, when God brings this world back into submission to him. It's when the Messiah returns and the kingdom's established. All those things spoken of by the prophets. The Yom Adonai, the book of Joel. That's the goal. (laughs) Are you going to reach that goal now through doing physical deeds? That's why he talks about in the flesh. It's not how it began. That's not how I taught you. That's not where you were supposed to continue it. The next question, did you endure so much for nothing if it really was for nothing? Here he's talking about all the persecution they experienced. If you go back to the, to the book of, of Acts and you read about where these individuals were uh, in that book, we're talking Acts 14. Acts 14 verse 21. Acts 14 verse 21. Uh, there's a statement that says, after proclaiming the good news to that city and making many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. 
They were strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to persevere in faith and saying, it is through many persecutions that we must enter the kingdom of God. Why was he saying this? Because they literally were being persecuted for believing in Yeshua. What was the perse- who was the persecutor? Honestly, it was basically the Jewish community at large. The Jewish community at large was persecuting them. Why? Because they were speaking about the coming of the Messiah. Yeah, my talus came out. <clears throat> and, and they were no longer conforming to the, to the accepted leadership of the Jewish communities in their cities. Now, we don't understand that. All right? Probably one of the most prominent rabbis here in, in Skokie is Rabbi Neil Brief, who's currently in, in Lieberman healing up from heart surgery. All right? Really a wonderful guy. But, but, but Rabbi Brief has no authority beyond his own personality. Okay? But if you go to certain cities today in Eastern Europe, especially where the Chabadniks have established the chief rabbis of this city and that city or whatever, those rabbis have real authority. You cross them, you're put out of the Jewish community in that city. That's exactly what occurred. That's the persecution he's talking about. You endured so much for nothing. In other words, you stood up for the truth of who Yeshua is and the gospel and what it means to come into a relationship with God as non-Jews, and you suffered for it. Maybe you used to be a, 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 a God-fearer in the synagogue. Now you've been kicked out. Maybe you had friends and your friends no longer will talk to you. Or maybe you were a Jew who believed in Yeshua and, and you were a leader in the synagogue and you got kicked out and maybe you were beat in the process because they would, physical corporal punishment was part of the punishment that would be meted out by the leadership in the Jewish community. That's why Paul talks about, I've been beaten by the Jews this number of times or whatever. All of that for nothing? If you're giving up on this message, this truth that I have preached, then everything you did was for nothing. All you went through was for nothing. You've caved into what is now easy. Going with the flow. Because now you don't get persecuted because you fit in. But you've had to, you basically had to give up on the message in order for this to happen. Last question, does God provide his rook and work miracles among you because of your deeds based on Torah or your hearing based on trust and faithfulness? They knew they received the ruach when they believed. You know, I think back when the, and, and Jay, uh, Chaplain Kurtz is here, you know, became a believer about what, 1981 or something? <laughs> Our Messianic Jewish community was, what? 1015A, you know exactly when. Think about it. That was when the Messianic Jewish community really didn't know much. We just knew that God is real, the God of Israel is real, the Messiah is real, and we want to live our lives for him, right? 1980, all right. Now we're so much more sophisticated. We're so much more sophisticated in our understandings and our services and our organizations, but have we forgotten with what simplicity we actually came into right relationship with God? By faith alone. Simple faith of hearing then trusting, and then experiencing really the miraculous powers of God. We have an example in verse 6. And I didn't read all of those verses because frankly I took the questions right out of the verses and that's all that's there. But verse 6 it says, 
Just as Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. He begins in verse 6 and he goes back to again give a challenge in regards to simple faith. But I want you to think about Abraham as this amazing example of faith. Abraham, of course, was a graduate of a yeshiva. No, he wasn't a graduate of a yeshiva. Well, Abraham, of course, had a strong community, a a union of like-minded individuals. Oh, no, that's not true either. What happened is, is God appeared to him, spoke to him, possibly spoke to his father and then to Abraham. It's a little confusing, but the bottom line is, is that Abraham and God certainly had a conversation. God said, do something. Abraham said, I'll do it. And this began a journey, which we see out in the book of of, uh, of Genesis, beginning in chapter 12, that continues through all of Abraham's remaining life, about another 75 years on top of when this all started. And during this time, Abraham simply heard God and believed God. <laughs> chapter 15, which is what we see in, in, in the reference in, in Galatians 3, uh, chapter uh, uh, 15 of, of Genesis is is a beautiful chapter. Abraham has just beat a bunch of kings, you know, him and uh, Eliezer, or him and six hundred and thirteen of uh, of his of his people born in his home. They built, they beat five kings in their armies. Now Abraham is scared, spitless, and God says, "Don't be afraid. You will have descendants as the stars of the heaven, as the sand of the sea." And it says, Abraham believed God. And at that point, God made him a righteous one. By faith, he believed. And because of that faith in God, Abraham was made righteous. What does it take to come into right relationship with God? Believe in God. Belief in him and what he has expressed. What that means is we come into right relationship with God by hearing what God says, which for us is clearly in his scripture. And in believing what he has taught, he has taught that he is God and that there is no other. And that Yeshua the Messiah has come to provide atonement for sin. And people need to believe in him. Simple faith. Simple faith. Abraham believed God. Abraham received righteousness. Shaul is pounding this into these people because these people have have drifted from this important truth. They've drifted from this important truth. I'm going to show a video here. Uh, They're going to show it from the back. I want you to just pay attention. Listen to the words. Um, It's a preview copy, but I thought it was good enough for us to listen to today. Following Jesus isn't easy. I guess Jesus never promises it will be. The journey seems long, and there's a lot of distractions along the way. It's hard to keep pushing against the current all the time. Fact is, I'm getting tired. I'm just not enjoying things at the moment. So I'm just going to go with the flow for a while not take things so seriously. It's okay, you don't need to worry about me. My Christian friends are worried about me. They think I'm going to drift away 
They're so uptight. I'm not going to turn my back on Jesus. I know what I believe. I'm not going anywhere fast. But you know, I'm starting to enjoy life again. There's a lot of good things to see out here. And it's nice to see how other people live. I'm not going to be here for long. It's just a chance to refresh for a while. Okay, maybe test the waters a little bit. But there's nowhere out of God's reach. I can go back anytime. What am I saying? I don't need to go back. I haven't gone anywhere. And I don't plan to go anywhere either. been married 30 years, been doing ministry almost 30 years. I know a number of people that have drifted away from the faith. I know a number of people that have drifted into ridiculously terrible circumstances. Doesn't happen immediately. Every once in a while, man, I knew a guy who was an elder uh, trained, uh, used to teach at Moody, and one day he basically up and left his wife and moved in with his girlfriend. <laughs> How the heck did that happen? Well, there was an awful lot of drifting probably that occurred in his mind and in his soul before his body finally made the decision to act. I know a guy who, who in his theology, continued to question and question and, and, and eventually drifted, frankly, away from faith because he never could, was satisfied with anybody's answers. He just continued to question and then became cynical and skeptical and, and left the faith. I know too many people, young people, because that's kind of a lot of what I've done in the last 20 years, who have drifted from the faith because they'll start dating a person who doesn't believe in Yeshua. They'll, believe, they'll date an unbeliever. Oh, I'll never marry an unbeliever. But then they date an unbeliever, and next thing you know, they're marrying an unbeliever. How does that happen? Have you become bored with the miraculous nature of a personal relationship with God through a life of faith? And instead find yourself content to drift toward a dead religiosity. I remember a guy who also drifted, who basically said he was bored with the read your Bible, pray every day of what he was being taught. You know what's funny? I have never met anybody who who actually reads his scriptures on a daily basis and prioritizes prayer with God. I've never seen that person, in my experience, drifting away from the Lord. How many of you breathe? How many of you eat? The basics of life. Shall we not be satisfied with bread and water? Can we be satisfied with bread and water? knowing that fundamentally the fundamentals are what keeps us alive? If we become bored with the basic realities which are miraculous, seeing God work in so many miraculous ways, reading about it in the scriptures, 
being in communication with God, talking with him? Doesn't he show us amazing things in that kind of a situation? Doesn't God speak to us through his word from time to time? Those of us who are committed to read it. Those of us committed to spend time talking with him. If you become bored and are bored or just, you know, non-intentional about reading the scriptures and being in prayer, then if you call yourself a believer, frankly, you are far adrift toward dead religiosity. You may show up, you may be in this place, but you're really not here. You're just taking up space because you feel you have to. You feel you should, but you're not really here. If you do not intentionally work hard for your spiritual growth, you will most certainly succumb to personal spiritual drift. Intentionally working hard on our relationship with God. Those of you who are married, you understand that. Anniversaries. 37 years, 29 years. Hardest thing in my life is to be married to my wife. She's different from me. But it's worth it. Absolutely worth it. Being in right relationship with God is hard, but it's absolutely worth it. Some of us have gone astray. We've drifted, and, and we bear the scars. We bear the scars of our drifts. Sometimes we, you know what? We should be more public about some of that, I think, because it would, it would encourage those of us to remember, oh, yeah, I got to be careful. Got to be careful. How can you check for spiritual drift? A couple of questions, a couple of questions. What is really important to you? What is really important to you? Is having fun really important to you? You know, accumulating stuff important to you? What is really important to you? Check your drift, or check for drift in your spiritual priorities. I find that a lot of you young people never read your Bibles and pray on a regular basis. It's like sad to me. Some of you leaders... But I have the same thing among older people too, okay? Guys, your spiritual priorities, read your Bible, be in prayer every day. Be in real community, not just once a week. We have drifted in that as a community. We used to meet far more often for spiritual reasons. Too often in our community we gather to eat and to drink. But do we gather to pray and to worship? Not like we used to. Absolutely not like we used to. We used to gather to study scriptures. More of you would come to study. Now, no. Very few of you come to study. What are your spiritual priorities? And have you drifted? Have you drifted? Check your bank statements. Compare your giving to your spending on yourself. Where is your priorities? All kinds of practical stuff. But this second one is really important. What guides the ethics and morals of the way you live your life? What guides the ethics and morals of the way you live your life? Check for drift in your spiritual values. Morals and ethics has to do with the way we stand as salt and light in a world that is incredibly decaying. How much TV do you watch? How often are you on YouTube? <laughs> Guys, I mean, do you really think that what you watch is spiritually beneficial? Unless you're watching apologetics videos from Michael Brown, I don't think so. 
more than likely we are wasting so much time on things that are ethically and morally absolutely in opposition to what we believe. And yet if we laugh to them and we watch them and we engage with them, don't you think that's having an impact? It is having an impact. And you know it. You've been drifting. We need to take a stand for what is right. Honesty has to be honest. Bear no false witness. Don't say anything that is even remotely untrue. Be only honest in the way you talk to other people, in your taxes, in your work. Are you giving a works day of effort for a works day of wages? Are you being honest in your schoolwork? Are you being honest in your schoolwork? Ethics and morals. They say that uh, statistically believers are like everybody else. Well, how, do I, how can that be? Well, it's because we are so impacted. We've drifted. We've drifted. And then last, what do you believe about the Scripture and its truth? Check for drift in your theology and doctrine. You know, I talked about uh, uh, the, the continental divide, you know, the, the, the whole shifting of, uh, of the continents and everything. Listen, folks, we have no idea how this stuff happened. All kinds of people hold different views within the believing community. I'm not talking about that. But what I'm saying is, do you know, theologically, without an Adam, there's no biblical story. I've talked to some of these guys I know who begin to question an actual Adam. Now, I don't care how God created the world, but if you remove an actual person named Adam from the equation... Our entire biblical text is useless. But I notice believers, brainy believers, theologians and scientists, who are beginning to question the necessity for that. Why are they doing it? Because all of society is basically saying, listen, that's, that's not intellectually, that's not intellectually uh, acceptable to believe in something like an actual Adam. By faith, we have to believe something. <laughs> How in the world would we believe Yeshua actually died? You know, this guy Jacobius in, uh, in Israel is a nutcase, but Jacobius really believes he, he unearthed Yeshua's grave. If they found a little bone box and it had engraved on it, Yeshua, the son of Joseph, the brother of James, would your faith disappear? If so, you've drifted a long way. <laughs> a long way. By faith, we believe. By faith, we believe a lot. There's a lot we don't know in the world. Absolutely. I don't, I mean, what's more complicated? What, you know, how the world came to be or the mind of an individual? The mind's much more complicated. Just ask Natasha, okay? But by faith, we must believe. God has spoken. And we have to believe. Holding on to doctrine, not drifting in our doctrine, not drifting in our theology is critical in our age. Folks, people who do not come into right relationship with God through personal faith in Messiah Yeshua have no hope. Have no hope. Is it difficult for you to hear? Difficult for me to hear. My brother's not a believer. Most of my family's not a believer. Not believers. Difficult to hear. But it's true. You don't want to talk about that. You don't believe that. Then you've drifted. Certainly God is God. I don't know how people 
come into right relationship with God on, on a deathbed. And my prayer is that, that God miraculously saves everybody. But it doesn't say that. <laughs> it says everybody needs to personally believe. Okay, We have to hold on to those incredibly important truths. We must not drift. So, living a genuine life of faith in Messiah Yeshua will lead to real transformation in your life. Holding on to that, that was from last sermon, but it's still good. You know what? Transformation, what it's all about. Don't allow yourself to drift. If this, if this morning you honestly admit, I've drifted, I want you to take time for the next few minutes and talk to God about it. And then I want you to, uh, to take some time and come talk to me about it or someone else about it who's a spiritual leader within this community. Because we're never going to get to where God wants us to go individually if we allow ourselves to drift. Drifting ultimately will lead you to the middle of nowhere where you will die without food and water, without the bread of life and the cup of salvation. Don't drift. It's not what God wants for you.